shotglassdigital.com. On this episode, Eris Shonavai stops by to start up a new segment, new segment that he and I will be doing. And I've been digging into some old school comic books. And by old school, I mean like the 60s and stuff. All this and more on your safe place to geek out, the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on these here internets. My name's Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you. And I'm looking forward. I think we're going to have a good time tonight. There's a lot of cool stuff going on uh, in, in the geeky world. There's a lot of things that are coming down the pipe. We're on the verge of uh, Avengers Age of Ultron hitting in, in just over two months at this point. I mean, it's, ex- it's an exciting time. To be a geek, and we've got controversy, we've got emails, we've got Erish Shonavice stopping by tonight, and it is going to be a blast. It's going to be a good time. Uh, but before we get into everything, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has supported the show by using the Amazon links to do your Amazon shopping over at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. When you head over to either one of those sites, there is there are Amazon links at both of them. If you use those. Just to click on through to Amazon and do your shopping from there. It helps us out in a big, big way. And we really appreciate everyone who has helped out by doing that. And if you want to support the shows directly, you can do so by going to patreon.com. Patreon.com slash geekoutloud. I have bitten my tongue twice now tonight. First, just then. Or secondly, just then, as I said, patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And the first time being in the intro to the show. I don't know what's going on with my tongue. I don't know what's going on with me, but I don't like it, and the tongue's going to have to stay out of the way of the teeth. Anyhow, patreon.com slash geekoutloud is where you go. I'm cutting a promo on my tongue is what I'm doing, and then my tongue starts slapping me in the back of the head. It's going to be a fight between Steve and my tongue. It's very uncomfortable. It's not fun. Patreon.com slash geekoutloud is where you can go to support the show directly. And uh, there has been no um, exclusive podcast released yet for Patreon supporters this this month. And I do apologize for that. It has been trickier getting that thing done than I thought it would be this month. So uh, expect some bonus stuff coming your way, those of you who support at the $5 level or higher. And uh, for those of you who support at the $15 level or higher, 
your t-shirts are en route to you. There's so many of you who are asking, where's the shirt? Where's the shirt? Many have been mailed out. Many more to go. Well, not many more to go. Just a few more to go. And, uh, and so be checking your mailboxes. Some should be due there around Monday, from what I understand, from the Postal Service. So uh, hang in there, guys. I promise you they're on their way. They're coming. They look great. And uh, we've already got a second shirt down the, coming down the pipe that's going to be ex- that's going to be free for our fifteen dollar uh, level supporters uh, or more. And for those of you who uh, aren't able to support on a regular basis, we're going to be putting those on sale at the Geek Out Online shop. So uh, just stand by for those. It's the old uh, the Gamma Omega Lambda shirt. Gamma Omega Lambda is it's the uh, it's the frat shirt. Or the sorority shirt. I don't know what you call it when it's co-ed, but uh, but it looks great. It was designed by our own Michael Cohen, uh, who does all of the designing. It says uh, it has those letters. It has the Gamma Omega Lambda letters, and then underneath it it says, In Cursum Sicko Salutis, which means geek out in safety. So, I like it. I like it. So, um... And, uh, of course, on the back, the Goliverse logo will be there. So um, those will be coming down the pipe. Free to exclusive uh, to, to supporters at the $15 level or higher. And uh, for those of you who are supporters at the $1 level or higher, we'll give you a code to get a discount to buy those uh, from the store. To everyone else that will be on the store soon, uh, we'll let you know when that happens. Our featured supporter this week is Jeff Fawcett. Jeff has the amazing ability to ice up. He's one of the coolest superheroes around, both literally and figuratively. You know uh, Iceman from the X-Men? Just like that, only cooler. And he never uses puns like, hey, evildoer, chill. But if he did, that would be okay because he's that cool. It's like that's his superpower as much as freezing things and whatnot. He's so cool. Our featured supporter this week, Jeff Fawcett. And you can see all of our supporters uh, over at geekoutonline.com. Click on the Goliverse Wall of Fame. And uh, our supporters there who gain their amazing powers by supporting the Goliverse. And you can do so as well at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Email time, and uh, we start out with uh, Craig Allbuck. Craig says, Hey, Steve, I've been a longtime listener of the Goliverse. You're truly one of the leading podcasters out there. I really enjoy listening to your show. Well, thank you, Craig. I really appreciate you enjoying listening. I will say this. I don't think I'm one of the leading podcasters out there, but I'm trying. We're working. 2015, the year of the Goliverse, and we do it with everyone's help. We're in this together. We are in this thing together. So don't forget that, everybody. You're along for this ride as much as I am. My successes are your successes. Because usually my successes come because um, because you've helped me succeed. Basically what I'm saying is I'm riding all of your shoulders to the top. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, because we're into this together. I say we're in this together, but really it it's just me taking all the glory while you guys do all the work. Because you're the ones listening and everything i made me think of a song when i said we're in this together this was on the first uh one of the avengers trailers early avengers trailers oh wait i gotta turn up the music 
kind of scary. I don't understand what's going on right now. I thought it was a lot more uplifting than this. We should probably get back to Craig's email. Craig Allbuck, who chimes in. I'm only this going because it's kind of, I don't know, it makes it intense. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. Banging a drum. Playing some electronic guitar noises. Woo! It's very scary. Anyhow, he says, so as you know, Arrow's been pretty consistent, and it's a great show, and it is a roadmap on how to bring a comic book to life on network TV. I don't know that I know that it's a roadmap on how to bring a comic book to life on TV. I feel like they hit a few bumps in that first season, but it's it's been really well done uh, from season two on. The Flash has been incredible, and the way they're treating the Firestorm plot and bringing that character to life, all of the Human Torch has been pretty good. Let's see how well they'll do uh, if and when he starts using his other powers. I think it's going to be great. I think they're going to do it. What got me to write to you today is Gotham. The latest episode was a Scarecrow episode. Now, this is admittedly a couple of weeks old. Everything was about fear of losing your fears and, and dealing with your fears. And I think the writers really lost a chance to write Bruce in the story in a really cool way. So Bruce is on an outing by himself trying to duplicate a night out that he always did with his dad. They never said exactly where he was. I thought maybe it was behind the estate. I was waiting and waiting and waiting for Bruce to fall into a hole and slide into a cave and experience bats for the very first time. And it's fear of bats for the first time. That would have been incredible. What did the writers come up for poor Bruce? He falls down a hill, hurts his ankle, and has to climb up the hill all by himself. Yeah. Wow. I See, I don't know. I think it would have been too much on the nose. It's just like this thing they're doing right now with... Um, it's just like this thing they've been doing right now with the Joker and the Red Hood and everything. Like, everyone's like, oh, the Joker made his first appearance, Joker. And they keep kind of like, well, maybe it's this person, maybe it's this person. They're being, they're doing some obvious things that I think are just not the Joker. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see the Joker. I don't think we should see the Joker. I think we've seen too many Batman villains already. And I think to bring the Joker into it is just kind of ridiculous. I was thinking the same thing when I watched Bruce. I said, oh, he's about to fall into the Batcave. But he didn't, and I was kind of glad. I'm like, good, because they've been hitting things too much on the nose with stuff as it is anyway. Uh, just reminding us who all these people are. I'm okay with the fact that it's the Penguin origin, and 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 he's kind of finding his way along things. I'm ready, you know, I'm impatient. I'm kind of ready to see him uh, just bust out and start really, you know, I'd love to see him do some of that, but... Um, the Fish Mooney stuff has, has kind of lost me. I'm like, all right. why? My thing is, on a show like this, they should have had the courage to kill off a main player like that. You know, that's one of the marks of what what made what has made, I think, The Walking Dead so good. Is they're just not scared for anyone to die. Except, well, I mean, you know what I mean. Of course, you die and then you become a zombie. But you know what I mean. They're not, they haven't been scared to to in the moments where it's needed in big moments to progress the show and progress the story forward they haven't been scared to kill off these people either that or just keep her gone for a while and not really see what became of her i, I like the idea of maybe her showing up you know just disappearing and then showing up down the road with oh my gosh how did she come back that sort of thing instead we're getting this weird body part people story and i just i don't know um so I you know, I feel like I feel like they're very hit and miss on on Gotham. It's it's one of those shows that I watch and I, I I'm watching it because 
there's nothing else on. Like, it's always one of the last things that I watch during the week. You know, I'm like, oh, well, I hadn't watched Gotham yet. I guess I should watch it. So, um, I don't know if that means it's on the bubble or what, but I, I don't know. I keep watching at least. He says, P.S. Star Wars Rebels has been fantastic. Have you been enjoying Agent Carter? Agent Carter at this time has now ended its season. I was understood that they picked it up for another season next year, maybe. I don't know. That's what I thought I'd heard. Um, and then I heard today that it was kind of getting panned critically, that people were like, it took it a while to find its feet. And I'm like, it found its feet a lot faster than S.H.I.E.L.D. did. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., was one that should have, you know, that I'm surprised made it to a second season, whereas this show really knew what it was immediately and just went after it. They had a, there there was a consistent story arc. They they knew what they were doing in those eight episodes, and they did it, and they did it well. And uh, congratulations on them for having what I felt like creatively was a stellar first season. Now, as much as I enjoy Agent Carter and as much as I enjoy her and, and, and visiting that era, I think what would be really cool would be to during the winter hiatuses um go and and do some standalone series with several of their people you know a black widow I, I, the, the whole idea that they had this this organization that is the reason that black widow is who she is would it be great to do a flashback black widow kind of thing to kind of see well how'd she get all this red in her ledger and how did she come around to the good side you know, and and kind of do that story. I, I think it'd be cool to see some of that. And it and number and it would put some ladies in the spotlight, but it would also be something that could be interesting and told that's not necessarily going to be able to be told in a two hour movie. So that that would that was kind of what I was expecting them to do, but they didn't and that's fine. That's fine. They know better what they're doing than I do, I guess. Uh so thank you, Craig, for chiming in. And Star Wars Rebels has been fantastic, by the way. I am so looking forward to the season finale. Darth Vader uh, will be appearing, they, they've said, is going to be making another appearance. Uh, a recent trailer that was released uh, is out there now for the series, or for the season finale, um, which is, the title is um, Fire Across the Galaxy. Uh, let's get a little bit of that audio here because there's a there's something pretty intense in it, so... Here we go. Well, maybe I should turn up the volume again instead of just let it sit here down. That's dumb. That was dumb of me. There's Mustafar with like Star Wars. I know stories. nothing of a larger rebellion. And if I did, I'd rather give my life than tell you. Quite admirable, Jedi. Kanan is family. And we've all lost enough family to the Empire. You need to decide now. In or out. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. What is this for, The transport you stole will get us close to Tarkin's Star Destroyer. At last, a fight worthy of my time. No! And here it is. Who will fall? Star Wars Rebels. Ugh. 
That's Monday, March 2nd on Disney XD. It's coming up uh, this Monday at the time of this recording. And guys, I'm telling you straight up, it looks... Oh my gosh. Who will fall? Exactly. Who will fall? Are we going to see the death of the Inquisitor? Are we going to see one of our rebels die? I can't imagine that they would do that to to us in an animated series. So I don't know. Uh, But I've been loving it. And I'm definitely looking forward to the season finale and we're going to be doing uh, a mega show uh for rebel yell next week um talking about not only the season finale but the episode prior to this this episode that aired this past monday called rebel resolve so be looking forward to that uh here in the goliverse tim hill chimes in says captain palpatine that's the subject line he says uh hello there just a couple of quick thoughts first i was watching uh, the first Avenger the other day and noticed the in-universe Captain America comic books and had a thought. I think if Marvel ever does a crossover of Guardians of the Galaxy with the Avengers, that when Star-Lord meets Cap, he should make some comment about being amazed that he's a real person. You really exist? I used to read your comics as a kid. I think if done right, it could be a funny little moment and a nod to the comic readers. It, it may happen. It may very well happen. My other little thought is about Palpatine. I was wondering if after Vader informs him of killing Obi-Wan Kenobi and telling him about how he just disappeared and all that was left was his cloak, would Palpatine go back to his duel with Yoda and think how all they found of Yoda was his cloak and possibly his lightsaber and start to think that he had killed Yoda all those years ago? I know this is an earth-shattering revelation thing, but it was just a thought that I had that doesn't really affect the story at all, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. As always, thanks for your time and reading my ramblings. Stay geeky, my friend. And that's from Tim Hill. I don't know. Um, you, you know, the, in Revenge of the Sith, they make it a point to really show Yoda's cloak just hanging there, that he that he came out of his cloak. And I don't know if Palpat- Palpatine was dangling onto that Senate pod, and so I don't know that he had time to watch actually Yoda fall and then scurry away into... Um, into the stuff and i I, i'm trying to remember right now my my quotes from revenge of the sith if he if he was saying he's still alive or something like that but that's a good point that you know that maybe of course at this point in time you know by the time that obi-wan was killed palpatine was already chilling and relaxing he was done um with everything that was going on he was just kind of you know, he's like, I'm in, I'm in control now. What more do I? I'm evil. I'm in control. There's nothing more for me to do. I'm just gonna sit back now and enjoy the fruits of my labor. And Vader, we will learn to be immortal. That's what we'll do. Now that we run things, uh, there's some rebellions popping up. We've got a Death Star that can uh, outdo that. No problem. What's that? What do you mean it blew up? You know that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting point. I, I, again, I don't know if it's um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he maybe he started to put some connections together, and we know that he has a headquarters of sorts and office at the old Jedi Temple. So maybe he he started using that information to dig into some of those old Jedi holocrons to find out how. Um, how these people did that or why they would do that. Joshua Ayers chimes in. He says, Hey, Steve, congrats on the super successful Cure Marathon. Uh, if you do a birthday marathon next year, you're planning to partner with Cure or pick a different charity. 
Uh, we'll probably partner with Cure. They were great this time around, and so it just looks like that's a good thing to do, and and you know it gives us some consistency to what we're doing year after year. He says, I picked up some cereals at the store the other day, and it got me so jazzed up. I just had to share it with someone who can appreciate a fine bowl of cereal. There's a new limited flavor of Captain Crunch called Sprinkle Donut Crunch. What? Needless to say, it's amazing. I don't know if you ever got in the get, got in on the now discontinued cupcake pebbles from a couple of years ago, but it tastes just like that. Pure kid crack. So basically a ball of sugar that you pour milk over. General Mills brought back a retro cereal I never thought I'd see again. From the universe of Cinnamon Toast Crunch comes French Toast Crunch. Infused with a flavor of maple syrup and shaped like tiny bread slices, this stuff is perfection. I had some, I never dug the French Toast Crunch. But I tell you what I did like that they don't really do anywhere. They used to do these waffle crisps, and it was the same kind of thing. It had a buttery maple syrupy flavor. It was pretty good. While on the subject of cereal, this past holiday season, my fiancé and I baked a scaled-down version of Charles Phoenix six-layer cereal cake for my family's Christmas Eve get-together. It was a real hit with anyone brave enough to try it. I bet it was, and you do have to... Listen, if you're going to do that thing, you've got to scale it down. My fiancé and I were talking about uh, the possibility of a Supergirl show on a channel like the CW, and she mentioned she would prefer a live-action series of Hawk Girl, inspired by the character in Bruce Timm's Justice League. Well, you better hang on to this fiancé, sir, because she sounds like a keeper. Before long, we were planning out our own series finale in which the Amazons and the Atlanteans teamed up to repel a Thanagarian invasion army. What would be your choice for a new live-action TV series from any comic universe? Um, Man, I wish they'd go back to... ABC was teasing this Hulk thing. I just... I'd like I'd like another Hulk TV series. And, and it doesn't look like we'll ever get it. Even though... Even though ABC, you know, for a while there, and I, I want to say Guillermo del Toro, whose name I can never pronounce, was attached um, to it. But unfortunately, doesn't look like we'll ever see that. ABC owes me an apology. Pretty sad. So... To forget you, ABC. Gosh, man. I mean, after having someone like the Absorbing Man, and gosh, your whole thing with the leader that never got worked out after the Incredible Hulk film. Uh, he says, "I'm not sure if you and Dave talked about this on Mark Out Loud, but I saw a preview for the Flintstones WWE crossover special coming to DVD. You might not discuss animated wrestling endeavors on the show, so if not, never mind. But I thought it looked kind of funny. Yeah, they did this with Scooby Doo as well." I mean, I didn't see that one. Probably won't see this one. I'll wrap up with my last couple of thoughts here. After hearing you and Kristen talk about it, I went out and bought my first Bon Jovi CD, New Jersey. Takes a lot for a 90s grunge fan to do that. So I thought, I do appreciate, he said, I thought you'd appreciate knowing. I do appreciate knowing that. And well played, sir. Good purchase on your part because it don't get much better than this. Such a good album. Such a good, good album. 
You can buy the MP3 version of it. It's a really good version uh, from Amazon. You can just use the link over at um, uh, geekoutonline.com or geekoutpodcast.com. Either one, and we'll get you there. You can use those and support the show. And that all comes from, he says, uh, anyways, can't wait to hear your next podcast. So all the best wishes, and may the force be with you. That's Joshua Harris, uh, the captain of the Cornelia Marie, the owner of the Cornelia Marie from Deadliest Catch. I'm just kidding. Uh, He's from Iowa. So nowhere near the Cornelia Marie from Deadliest Catch. So uh, I don't don't sue me for slander or libel or anything like that. I, I appreciate it if you would not do that. Shannon Eno chimes in and says, Hey, Steve, when Surfing Online, I came across an article written about five good actors who did bad jobs as superheroes. Against my better judgment, I clicked the link. Don't ever do that. Most of the article was what you'd expect. George Clooney's Batman, Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern, Ben Affleck's Daredevil, and Halle Berry's Catwoman were all part of the list. It was the fifth entry that surprised me, though. Edward Norton's portrayal of Hulk. Granted, I think what they meant to say was his portrayal of Bruce Banner was lacking. They mentioned he lacked the wit and heart of Downey's Tony Stark Iron Man. What? He's not the same character. I think Norton did a great job as Banner, and I was pleased with the Incredible Hulk movie as a whole. I was disappointed when I heard Norton would be back in the Avengers. That being said, I think Mark Ruffalo nailed the role, and I only wish we'd get another solo Hulk movie. What do you think? I agree with everything you just said, uh, Shannon. I, You know... He lacked the wit and heart of Downey's Tony Stark. I'm sorry, Bruce Banner's not known for his wit. That's the one thing about Bruce Banner. We'll talk a little bit more about that in in a little bit because I really want to talk about some of the comic book reading I've been doing lately. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, I would like you to send me a link. I wish you to put a link because I would like to personally email the writer and be like, you know nothing about Bruce Banner. And you want to talk about heart? Again, I go back to that scene where Betty sees him in the pizzeria and he runs out and he's just sitting there on the other side of the dumpster while she's looking for him and, and he's just upset. And then when they see each other on the on the bridge for the first time and she's like, just stay, don't go. Oh my gosh, it's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. The scene where they're both laying in bed, you know, at her house and he's in one bed and she's in the other. There's heart there. There's a there's heart there. And, and the way that, and, and it's like she talks to him and, and like, he has his guard up when he is in uh, in Brazil when when he's down there doing the doing the bottling factory thing and when he gets back and he gets to her it's like there's just this familiarity they do such a good job he and Liv Tyler of this familiarity and connection where it's not just about I love you so much and I love you but they're talking like normal people and they're joking with each other and and uh, mm. That makes me mad to even hear that, Shannon. But it shouldn't because, you know, no big deal. I also want to say that I mostly agree with your assessment of the Fantastic Four teaser trailer. I think it looks like an okay sci-fi film, just not a great Fantastic Four movie. I'm hoping I'm wrong, though. I'm hoping I'm wrong, too, Shannon. I don't want to bash something before I've seen it. That's the thing. Is You know, you want to lo- I want to love this stuff. It's always been that way. I, I want to love that stuff, but... Sometimes it's just, they make it hard, man. They make it hard on you. Uh, Mike from Utah says, Hi, it's Mike Smith, SLC Utah. You know how Rebel Force Radio has Billy D. Williams' quote of the day? Well, maybe you should have the Anthony Mackie quote of the day. Have you heard him on some of his interviews? I have not. He's a bit out there. If anyone would get in trouble about spilling spoilers, it would be him. I'm wondering if he's risking Marvel and Disney dropping him for being too chatty. Also, 
I'm going to Star Wars Celebration. I have some of those Marvel Star Wars blank cover variants, and I want to commission art. Do you have any recommendations for artists that might be there? I sure don't. I would always say a Yoda. You can't go wrong with a Yoda cover. I would love a Yoda meeting an Ewok cover. I think that'd be fun to commission that. Um, see, Vader and Fett get way overdone, even if you're a Vader Fett fan. It's like, do something you, you, you haven't ever really seen. A Jedi Ewok would be cool to me. Um, ooh, a Jedi Ewok would be cool. With a lightsaber and everything. Yeah, yeah. Jedi Ewok. I don't know about any of the artists. You just pick your favorite one. I just did a cover with Carrie Fisher's signature and commission uh, with art from Jamie Tindall. He doesn't do Star Wars art that often, so this should be unique and rare. Cool. He says, P.S. My addiction is a bit more severe. It's buying vintage Star Wars stuff. Now, Mike, I want to talk to you honestly right now, man to man, person to person. I want you to understand when I talked about my addiction to the Black Series figures that has come up and I just can't quit them and, and I'm finding out I can't. Um, and it's more on that in a moment. Um, you need to understand it all started with the vintage stuff. I'm sitting in a room right now, my Star Wars room, and uh, right across the desk from me is the vintage Ewok playset with all kinds of vintage Ewoks standing on it. Low Gray, Chief Chirpa, Tebow, they're all there. Wicket's back on another shelf along with the vintage uh, Ewok Battle Wagon and uh, vintage ATST on a shelf. I can see in clear sight the vintage Death Star, uh, Death Star, um, Death Star, uh, Star, uh, De mm. use your words, Steve, Darth Vader's Star Destroyer playset, complete with all the vintage figures of the uh, Bounty Hunters and Darth Vader's on there. It's, it's pretty much complete. Um, I'm missing one piece from that thing, and it's the piece that holds the little orange holographic thing up to the ceiling when you flip it up. Uh, up above that is Yoda's uh, Dagobah playset, the vintage version, of course. Beneath it is a vintage Hoth playset. Um, over here behind me, directly behind me, vintage Death Star playset. Some random pieces sitting on the desk right with me, a vintage TIE Fighter, vintage X-Wing. There's a vintage Millennium Falcon over there. What I'm saying is I've got the same addiction. I love vintage Star Wars stuff. And what's so sad is my collection's not finished. I actually won a lot, um, uh, an auction lot on eBay the other week that was mostly parts, bits and parts and stuff. And I thought, wow, this would be really cool because it looked as though it had some stuff I needed. And they were all, you know, and they were, the person was very upfront about a lot of busted stuff. Um, there was a 12-inch, though, vintage IG-88. And if you're a vintage collector, you know what that means. That's a huge find. However, the one thing I couldn't really see on the picture is that his little arm was broken and the lighting was so bad I couldn't tell that someone had apparently spray-painted him and not good, like just, just just sprayed for some reason on this figure back in the day. So I've been trying to clean that off and um, it kind of makes me sad. But uh, anyhow, yeah, so yeah, I've definitely got a vintage um, addiction myself, sir. But I love it, man. It's it's what I grew up on. It's my childhood. Vintage Star Wars is the way to go. Speaking of um, that addiction to those six-inch Star Wars Black Series figures, um, I actually did go. Our Walmart still had a Darth Maul and a Han Solo swinging on the pegs. And I actually, even though the Darth Maul had just a, just a monked-up box across the top, I went ahead and bought them so I could open them up since the box is messed up. And guys... These figures are so cool. These star, these vintage 
not vintage, these six inch uh, black series figures are just so stinking cool. And I missed so many of them. <laughs> um, it is, uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing what I did miss. And I had a checklist pulled up, but my computer did an update and restarted without my permission, apparently during the night, the other night. And, um, and I was just looking to see what I missed. But uh, Ryan decided he would help feed the addiction. He had a couple of stormtroopers apparently sitting around. And so I wanted to say thanks to Ryan for sending that out to me. He sent me one out. And it's hanging on the wall, man. It's hanging on the pegboard wall. Looking great. Right next to Darth Maul. Right next to Han Solo. Right next to the Bespin Luke. Across the, across the room from uh the prototype uh boba fett the x-wing luke the jedi luke and uh yoda so man and they've got a vader oh my gosh that vader is just amazing it is amazing but they've also uh anakin obi-wan there's a slave leia oh they're doing leia as boosh uh coming up removable helmet and everything it looks stellar it looks spectacular they've got luke and han coming down the line in their uh, stormtrooper get-ups from star wars uh, what else is coming? They got a Bosque coming down the road, uh, Commander Cody, um, just several IG88. They and they look, they just all look spectacular, spectacular. So thanks to Ryan uh, for feeding the addiction. Uh, thanks to Michael for making me now want to go just nose around on eBay for more vintage Star Wars stuff and continue to feed that addiction. I get all shaky when I think about it. Start someone in the chat sad. That's sad. Uh, it says in the chat, do you like the Star Wars Star Wars Hot Wheels? Why can I not talk tonight? All right. Mm. The Human Torch applied for a bank loan. The Human Torch applied for a bank loan. All right. Star Wars Hot Wheels. I have the Luke, that's the X-Wing Luke, the Vader. I've got uh, the, um, oh, what's the other one I picked up? The Darth Maul. Uh, at my Walmart the other night, I saw a two-pack of Han and Chewie and a two-pack of 3PO and R2 that I almost bought, but I decided to put down. Uh, I think they look really cool. Like, I've never been a Hot Wheels guy. So I um I'm I I really dig them. I think they look really cool. So unique New York, unique New York. Why is Chocolate Thunder? Did Chocolate Thunder says, "Oh my gosh, I've disappointed Chocolate Thunder." How have I disappointed you, Chocolate Thunder? Chocolate rain. Why have I dis? How have I disappointed Chocolate Thunder in the chat? My Lanta. I'm. We have almost 30 people in the live chat tonight. Good Lord. My Lanta, that is amazing. Pat yourselves on the back, everyone. That is fan freaking tastic. That is someone tweet that crap. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, man. Uh, six six killing three six. You know what, Chocolate? I, I totally see what you're saying, but here's the thing. Here's what I have not told you. I also have the latest wave of the six inch figure sitting over here as well. I mean, of the three, uh, three and three quarter inch figure sitting over here as well. Uh, I'm digging what they're doing with the limited articulation 
three and three quarter inch. The problem is just the, the distribution's not there. Um, we're finally getting a Hera figure, Hera Syndulla figure. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be picking that up. Listen, I, I don't want to plug them again because the first one was free, and and I hate to I hate to give. I've got to stop giving free advertising. I do, but man, Dorkside Toys, man, is where it's at. They've got the new series of the Rebel Missions Wave uh, for pre-order. It's got a two-pack of Kanan and Ezra, two-pack of Han and Luke and the Hoth gear, two-pack of Yoda and R2, two-pack of an Imperial Gunner and a Stormtrooper, two-pack of a Stormtrooper and Leia, and, and it looks like it's a Luke Stormtrooper and Leia, and two-pack of a Sand Trooper and Harrison Dula. So I'm really excited to snag that because I really want that Hera figure. Hera has become one of my favorite characters. I have the Zeb and um, and Stormtrooper 2-pack. The, the thing, and again, it's just their distribution is just not good. And I'm telling you, I was very much like, oh, six-inch figures, why would they do that? Three and three-quarters is where it's at. They're so beautiful. They're... <laughs> I can't stop looking at them. Uh, there's a Chewy coming. There, there's, as I said, the Han and the six-inch Palpatine looks pretty freaky, and uh, and so yeah, so a lot of cool stuff coming with those. And the in the three and three-quarter inch coming down the way um, in the Black series, they've got this cool wave coming up that is, um, it's uh, it's Luke. It's a Hoth Luke, which they've already had. It's the Luke Vader from Dagobah. Um, there's there's a Stormtrooper Pier Guard. There's um, Leia from the Yavin Ceremony. And there are a few clone troopers who are um, Wolf, Commander Wolf, uh, Captain Rex, and Commander Doom, who apparently Commander Doom was in the sixth season of Clone Wars. And I, and I you know... All these clones kind of run together to me, but what's really cool is from a distance he looks like he's Doctor Doom, and that's why I'm, I'm assuming that's why he's Commander Doom. His armor is painted up green, except for right around his face mask, and he's got a bit of a skirt there, and so it looks like he's got the Doctor Doom thing going. It, it's really cool, um, but yeah, I'm still totally doing the three and three quarter inch. In fact, right now in my three and three quarter inch um, obsession is that 30th anniversary collection they did you know, eight years ago. And for Christmas, a couple of years back, uh, man, I guess it's been maybe three years ago now, I was handed, I, I got, I was given the, the book, because on that 30th anniversary collection, they, they all came with like these collector's coins, a la the Power of the Force figures from back in 83, 84-ish. And uh, there's a book that you can put all the coins in as you collect the figures. And so... I had a few, but not all of them. And so now I've just kind of made it a point. Every now and again, I'll get on a tear of, well, let me find the next figure in the series. Let me find the next figure in this series. And so it's like collecting super old three and three quarter inch stuff now. So, um, <laughs> and what's funny, Rich in the chat, he says, you do want some of the figures I saw at the comp. Rich sent me a great picture, like a panorama picture of the, uh, of a Star Wars display at a comic store near near him, and uh, he's like, "Do you need anything?" And I and I really was looking the peg to see, well, do I recognize anything I need? But, um, but no, Rich, I'm good. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, so yeah, I say, 
listen, that's what happens. You start talking toys, and, and Mike, I blame you, Mike Smith from Utah. Uh, it, it's totally, um, I'm totally into the vintage stuff. I, I just, I have a love for collecting Star Wars, and I can't get over it. I'm sorry. Here's a special uh, request from Rena. Rena says, hey, Steve, I'm a good friend of Cody Murphy, your law school liaison. I'm also in law school. You read his geek-tastic email during last week's podcast regarding Marvel and Padme, which made his year, by the way. I was wondering if you'd give him a shout-out on this week's podcast. He was seriously injured last week and spent some time in the hospital. I'm sure it would cheer him up immensely to know you're pulling for him while he's working to heal. Thank you, Steve. And that's from Rena. Rena Cody, or Cody, Rena wants you to know she hopes you feel better, sir. And uh, Rena, I've got to ask you, I'm, I, you know, this is what we do on the show sometimes. Sometimes I have to call people out and just be like, you know, you say he's a good friend. But I'm not so sure. I mean, is he trying to be all Kevin Bacon on you? saying rena you start emailing podcasts that you've never emailed before for your good friend cody murphy i don't know how did he get hurt cody you gotta email back in and let us know what's going on man because what's interesting is before i ever got rena's email on february 19th on february 17th i got this from cody Hey, Steve, your friendly neighborhood attorney in training in the Goldiverse, Cody here. Thanks for reading my email. It made my night after what was an existential crisis called by the travails of my academic journey right now. Now to the crux of my email. There's a woman named Rena who's a good friend of mine. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what his email says. But <laughs> could you imagine... I love the Geek Out Loud love connections, guys. The goal love connections on the Goaliverse. How you doing? No, how you doing? I'm just saying. Cody, I hope you feel better, man. And uh, let us know what happened. If you got, I mean, gee whiz, a serious injury? Man, were you listening to the show when the serious injury happened? And if so, as a law... Uh, student, can you tell me, am I liable? Because if I am, I don't want to be. At this point, I need to make this disclaimer. Geek Out Loud takes no responsibility for injuries occur accrued, accrued during the listening of said podcast. Geek Out Loud is poor and cannot afford a lawsuit. Please 
do not sue geek out loud that's that's your uh that's your disclaimer so just saying help me out i am tweeting about this 30 listeners thing right now at the uh at at the twitter at geek out loud on the twitter um because i'm just excited man we hadn't had a 30 listener night in a non we hadn't had a 30 listener night on a non marathon night in a long time so for those of you who are missing the live show you're missing a lot of good times with the mixer zoo crew at mixer.com slash goaliverse hashtag don't sue hashtag don't sue goaliverse 2015 it's pelvic sorcery says the admiral so i'm being told i'm selfish what hold on wait a minute Put a little love in it. Um, by the way, speaking of figures, I've been looking for a chopper figure. Just saw that uh, uh, Mark Herleman of the Star Wars Report finally got a chopper. Uh, that's up in his neck of the woods, so I may have to go on a toy hunt afterwards. Because anytime I see the toy hunt happening, I get really excited about uh, about what's going on. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I should go look too now. <laughs> maybe maybe that should happen for me. So anyhow, moving along. Rena, there's a shout-out to Cody. There's a shout-out to you. Hope you guys make your law-love connection. We've got uh, several more really quickly. Uh, Cody does chime in. He says, um, while it would have been nice for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to get their hands on Spider-Man fully, I think this is the absolute best deal Marvel could have made. Having Sony bear the financial liability for Spider-Man and their studio resources frees things up for Marvel to dig down even further in their character roster and not be so dependent on the A-list hero. If Spider-Man were fully a Marvel character, I think it would have likely been... Uh, it would have been likely, rather, that Spider-Man would have been bumped in Inhumans, uh, Doctor Strange, or, or Black Panther due to finite resources. Yes, even Marvel has limits to what they can do. You expressed concern about the fact uh, that Sony said they still have complete creative control. I would not be so worried about that. When What the hacks and leaks did to Sony was humble them to the point where they're at now. That statement was basically Sony's way of saying that the legal re- relationship between Sony and Marvel has not changed. Spider-Man is still a Sony franchise. However, they've reached the point in botching so much that this is how the relationship has just changed. Uh, And he writes a script. Sony execs and Kevin Feige are in a story meeting. Feige hands Sony execs his script for the first solo Spidey film. Sony uh, says, "Mm, I don't think this is the script we're looking for. Feige waves his hand in front of him and says, that is the script we're looking for. Sony says, this is the script we're looking for. Feige says, you will hire Edna from Steve Glosson. Sony says, you will... Wait, who's Edna? And the next thing you see is a face of a burly woman in the window with a flaming E behind her. Edna is a lovely woman. She's not burly. You get my point. Thanks to Kevin Feige's Jedi powers, the Marvel uh, was able to take advantage of a studio that was in desperate need of help. Sony is given time to realign their resources and figure out their own tent pole franchise. They're making a Spider-Man film that people like me are excited for, and Marvel bears no financial risk with their A-list character. In this way, everyone wins. Sadly... For the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, Fox had their best year in box office history last year, so unless three humanoid ducks wearing red, blue, and green break into Fox headquarters and kidnap their CEO, it doesn't look like a deal will be made as of yet. My previous email went into great lengths as my hopes for the Fantastic Four, so here's to a good movie, whether it be from Fox or Marvel Studios. Raises a bottle of ginger ale and gives a hearty hear, hear! Thanks once again for all you do. May the Force be with you as you live long and prosper, and it's time to flame on. 
Thank you, Cody, and uh, I agree with all your sentiments there. You you talking legal stuff set my mind at ease because obviously you are the legal um, you're the legal eagle here around the old Goloverse. Now we've got a couple more. I'm going to hold off because uh, Andy Lindeman chimes in about X Men, and he and he talks a little bit about his his take on X Men and stuff. Uh, our good friend Baldheaded Rod uh, it just arrived yesterday in the mail. He sent me. A copy of X Men: Days of Future Past for me to rewatch and and reacquaint myself with, as well as another one of his favorite movies. And he told me he hoped to be able to come on the show at some point and uh, realign my thinking not only about that movie but about the X Men in general. And so, because I have I, I have the proclivities of loving all things Marvel comics and otherwise, I welcome that and am looking forward to it. So I'm going to hold off on that and maybe uh, Rod and I can get together a little bit. And, uh, and 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 kind of bounce off of your email, Andy. Mike Dunn chimed in to talk about Star Trek. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to be honest right now, if I can just be real with everyone. I'm having a hard enough time sitting down and podcasting right now as it is. I've kind of hit a wall with the podcasting, with life in general. And the best way to get through a wall is just to bust through it. And the last thing I need is Star Trek talk. So um, we're just going to put that on hold as well, Mike. Understand I appreciate you. And appreciate you writing in. He talked a lot about Garth of Izar. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> so it was a response to some of the stuff Dave and I talked about on the uh, on the Marathon podcast. But we'll get there. Mike, I'm not going to leave you out. Next week, we'll definitely jump on that. So, uh, so hang around, and we appreciate... Everyone who emails us at geekoutonline at gmail.com, geekoutonline at gmail.com. The truth of the matter is, is we've got such a packed show, and we're already almost an hour in. And uh, man, 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 am I excited about this new segment we're about to jump into. We have with us uh, a very special guest who's going to be a regular on the show for here on out every couple of weeks in a new segment we call Pass the Corn. Now, you have two weeks from this listening time to, if you are musically inclined or, or auditorially inclined, to make about a, you know, five to eight second max, you know, uh, bumper for Pass the Corn, just understanding that that may be a temporary title. But if you want to make a Pass the Corn um, kind of uh, bumper, that'll be great. But Pass the Corn means Pass the Popcorn. It doesn't mean, you know... It doesn't mean to gastrointestinally pass the corn. It, it just means, like, hey, hand me the popcorn. Uh, because Arish and I are going to be talking about some movies. So, uh, without further ado, and here's Arish. Arish, it's it's potentially past the corn on Geek Out Loud. <laughs> past the kern. Past the kern. <laughs> How's that? that bucket of kern, my friend. It's and, and, time. And how is that for your theme music? I like it now. That that's a wrestler's theme, right? That's Shawn Michaels. I, I thought it was Shawn Michaels. I was going to say, is that the Heartbreak Kids? One of the greatest of all time. All right, well, let's see if we can deliver a little sweet chin music as we uh, talk about the movie. That's here. what I'm talking about. And everyone who just turn, tuned out because we mentioned wrestling, you can tune back in now. Yeah, we're, we're talking movies. We're talking movies now. One of, you know, when I first approached you with this idea, it was the idea of, 
I missed a lot of talking about a lot of good past movies that had come out in '84 last year that had anniversaries, and I don't know why I was so you know because I'm fixated on the '80s for one thing, but also you know that 30 year kind of mark that sort of thing, and I didn't want to do that this year and miss some good anniversary talk. And uh, and I said, so we could pick some movies and just kind of talk about them, some things that we enjoyed or, you know, or I can make you talk about things I enjoyed that you might have just peripherally liked. But uh, <laughs> and for this episode, we figured we'd have a, a Stallone fest for a minute or two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had two two big movies in 85. So and I mean, the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, one of the one of them I actually didn't even see in the theater. You know, it wasn't a movie that really hit my radar until because I was fifteen in '85, so it kind of hit my radar a few years later. Now, which one would that have been? First that, Blood. That would be Rambo. Okay, yeah. I listen. Rambo at this point was already a household name, which is really kind of a feat considering these were R-rated movies. Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that he was necessarily a household name. Oh. I mean, do you think so? I mean, I thought the first blood was, you know, it was sort of a, a middle of the road hit and one of those movies that would show up on like the Sunday night movie or something like that. But uh, okay, maybe this is the was, maybe was it a huge blockbuster? I well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the movie that pushed him think, over the. Over I think the Rambo two. Yeah, maybe that's, that's what it is the because one that made it a household name because, because it was a huge blockbuster. Yes, because after this, that you're right, you're right. Uh, after this, you had um, the the cartoon debut. The Rambo there was a Rambo cartoon. Rambo: The Force of Freedom. <laughs> it was an animated series. It was based on Rambo's oh, character. Um, and it was done by Ruby Spears, the same people who do the Superman Saturday morning cartoon in 88. Uh, they put together like a G.I. Joe kind of team for right. Rambo, and they went on missions all over the world battling Savage, which stands it's it's an, an acronym. It stands for Special Administrators of Vengeance, Anarchy, and Global Extortion. Nice. Yes. So so yeah so I'm I'm sorry I was wrong Rambo wasn't already a household name but this pushed him over the top yes. to the point that they're making cartoons and toys of Rambo out of an R-rated movie yes and I I think that's a little I mean I guess Freddy kind of reached that kind of status in the mid '80s Freddy and Jason um, yeah but but man this I. This really, this is one of those things. This is a character that kind of took America by storm. Now, granted, we're in the middle of the Cold War. You know, everything's pro, let's go USA kind of situation. So maybe that had something to do with well, it. Well, and also this was kind of, this was, and I don't want to, I mean, we have to get a little political to talk sure, about yes. Rambo 2. Because this was, this was really the movie that put the, we need to celebrate our Vietnam vets. Yes. On the map. And he even has the big speech at the end where, you know, I want what they want. We just want our country to love us as much as we loved it. Yes. You yes. know, which was that big rah-rah moment. And, you know, then we, we had this whole slate of Vietnam movies. We had Platoon. We had Full Metal Jacket. You know, um, just a whole the Chuck Norris ones. And stuff. It, it just all of a sudden became a theme 
where Vietnam and and how and our vets and what their true experiences were, what their heroic experiences were over there, really turned into a big thing. It kind of helped change the the country's perception of of our soldiers. Yeah, you know the the first movie, First Blood, was based on a novel, right? Um, and and the idea was kind of let's you know was to kind of what raise awareness you know fictional story but to raise awareness of what these guys go through or what these yeah. guys were going through these vietnam vets who just kind of been cast aside and and well th- we didn't really understand the post traumatic stress disorder right. and things like that we didn't really understand a lot of the things that were affecting these guys when they came back and but and also because because the Vietnam War was so controversial, I mean, yeah, and that, and that even seems a light word for it. You know, yeah. the, it was it was just a a muck up in American history. Yeah, these guys who, in a lot of cases, had no choice about going over there, were faulted and blamed when they came back. Yeah, and and so they got treated horribly, and so. This was this was his way, and, and the truth of the matter is, is all of the Rambo movies, in some way, even Rambo Three, is meant to kind of raise, is honestly meant to raise awareness of some situation, like in this case, I've heard Stallone say he believed that there were still POWs in Vietnam at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, in the case of Rambo Three, it was to kind of raise awareness of what had been going on in Afghanistan, but it came out six months after the fall of the Iron Curtain, and so it just kind of fell flat. In the case of Rambo Four, Stallone was really trying to raise awareness of what's happening in Burma. Yeah, and has been, and so, so this was well, kind of Rambo Four is just Rambo, right? Right. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to, <laughs> which is hairs. really confusing when you go on to like, you know. Amazon or Netflix or whatever to look them up, and because it's just Rambo, it's listed first yes. in the order of the movies. <laughs> right. Well, and what's this is the first one was actually First Blood. Yeah. This is Rambo First Blood, first Part, Blood two. Part Two. Yeah, and then it was and then it was just Rambo, Rambo three. three. Yeah, we're done. Rambo Three. Yeah. Um, and but this movie in particular was it really was kind of the breakout for this guy because the first one. He's really kind of an anti-hero. You don't know whether you're cheering for this guy or not because he's kind of tearing up a town. Yeah. And the and this one, you're like, go Rambo, go. Rambo yeah. 2 was the first movie to open on 2,000 screens. Really? Yeah. I, I, I read that on IMDb this morning when I was doing research to talk Man. about this. Well, you've done more uh, research than I have. But and now a movie that opens on two thousand screens is kind of like like Hot Tub Time Machine will probably open on two thousand <laughs> screens this weekend, or or more because yeah yeah I mean the big ones now are you know are double that yeah you know Avengers yeah. will be on four thousand plus you know those big tentpole movies but so at the time two thousand screens was a huge huge deal so in thirty years we've come to the point where two thousand screens is just an average opening. I think so, yeah. Wow. Because 2,000 screens seems like a lot to me in 50 states of the United States Well, think about how much the movie theaters have changed, too. That's true. You know, you've got 15, 20, 30 screen multiplexes now. So in a lot of cases, you know, a movie like Avengers 2, that'll be playing on three or four screens in in just one building. Yeah, that's true. Because you'll have the IMAX, you'll have the 3D, you'll have two showings of the regular to squeeze more in on the opening weekend. Yeah, that's true. 
So these big multiplexes have allowed for more screens. And in 85, we're still in a time where the most a multiplex is going to have maybe four or five screens. Yeah. 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 And I think that's like a really huge theater. And again, it's rated R. It was a rated R movie. Yeah. So now this, you, you told me off before we got really started, this isn't really in your wheelhouse necessarily of, of movies you love. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, I love First Blood because mm-hmm. I, I just, I love, I love those movies where the guy's like, like out in the wild and he knows how to survive and he's making all the booby traps right. and stuff. And I really dig that. This one is just, it, it's almost hard to watch this now because it is so ridiculously over the top. <laughs> At one point, like he's he's with the girl that he meets up, who is his contact in the bush, and of course she is like just drop dead gorgeous, mm-hmm. um, and you know she's like going to give him like a machine gun or whatever, and he pulls his bow out, and she's like, huh? And he's like, it's a bow, it's silent, but yet every time he shoots it. The sound effect for the bow is louder than the sound effect of the gun. And let's not forget, he blew a man up with it. Yes, yeah. he blew every he blew up an entire town with that by just screwing a little triangle that's, thing on the end of it. It blows right. up like a whole bridge that's full right. of vehicles. And and I mean, and how many times have we, when playing hide and seek with our friends, done the whole mud wall camouflage thing? Oh yeah, you the know. mud wall is awesome. I mean, that and in uh, in Predator are the two best mud wall. That's right, like where things the, ever. Where it's just mud, but all of a sudden you see the eyes open. But just the crazy loud bow sounds, and it's like they took the sound of a sniper rifle and added like a bowstring snapping behind it. So it's like, yes, yes, kind of thing. And it, it, it's just ridiculous. It's it's the eighties, man. It's what I love about the eighties. It's like you just go and you don't worry about those kind of things. You just love it. You just absolutely love it. Um, two other things that uh, in, in my research on this, just to familiarize myself again with this. James Cameron wrote the original draft of the script. You're kidding me. He wrote the script while he was waiting for the funding to come through for Terminator. Wow. He developed Aliens and wrote the script for Rambo 2. And then Stallone came in and rewrote it and put all the political stuff into it. Right, right. Cameron's was just like a straight-up action flick. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm looking at this now. It says Cameron commented that he only wrote the action and Stallone wrote the politics. Yeah, which is so, which, which is interesting. Which is interesting commentary on Stallone because what you find out about this guy when I've heard him in interviews and everything, he sounds like a mushmouth, but he's really got a good head on him. Yeah, you know, he's not an unintelligent guy. Um, and the second thing that that oh, now I can't remember what it was. <clears throat> what was it? Oh. The second, because and this ties directly into the other movie that we're going to talk about, Rocky IV. Mm-hmm. The Russian in Rambo II, uh, Dolph Lundgren, was cast to oh, play the really? Russian. Oh, really? And then Stallone realized that it was the same guy that was going to be in Rocky IV, and he thought that it would be odd for two of them to both be in, this, in movies together that year, so they bought out his contract for Rambo II wow. and recast his part. 
Yeah, they didn't want... It's like, we can't have the bad guy and the good guy in two movies going against each other. But how crazy would that have been if in the same movie we would have had Dolph Lundgren and Sylvester Stallone I mean, I, and Rocky IV in the same year and then in Rambo 2? I, like, I feel like it'd be the same as if um, Jeremy Bullock played a bad guy on one of the Indiana Jones movies. And in both movies... In both movies, Dolph could have said, I must break. I must break. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, to me, the real, the baddest guy in this whole thing a lot of times ends up being Charles Napier's character. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, what was his name? Murdoch. Murdoch. Yes. Murdoch. And, <laughs> I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. <laughs> and I, and I love Charles Napier. He has a very special place in my heart because my first realization of this guy uh, Charles Napier was he played um, he played a character in the Return or or the Incredible Hulk Returns, uh, the in the, the made for TV movie back in in the late eighties. Um, he played he played Mike, the brother of the main bad guy, and he had this Cajun thing going. And every time I saw him after that, whether he because he always played like some kind of warden or soldier or something, he actually did some voice work later on. Other anytime I saw him, I was just like. I know that guy. He's from the right. Hulk. So when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, there's a guy from the Hulk. Because this was laid on my radar, too. Like, I didn't see this until I was a teenager, probably. Um, and and I saw him, and I'm like, there's Murdoch. I know, or not Murdoch. There's there's Mike. I know him. I know <laughs> that guy. <laughs> so, and uh, I believe in, in yet another geeky... Um, in another geeky uh, thing, I believe he was in an episode of the original series of Star Trek. Was Charles Napier? I'm gonna trust you on that one. I'm I'm just kind of nosing around here. The Way to Eden is uh, he played Adam on The Way to Eden. I'm not a big Star Trek fan, so I can't uh, tell you what happened in that episode. He's one of those guys that's just been in almost everything. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, he he of course passed in 2011, but uh, he was he was he was a uh, he was a character actor, and he was in, in all kinds of things. But I always kind of saw him as the big baddie in this because he was the one that was... that With the Russian guy, straightforward. You know what his agenda was. I, these You know, the most interesting, and for me, some of the most hated characters, for all the right reasons, are the people who are trying to play both sides of the coin. Right. And have their hidden agendas and stuff. And so... Well, uh, when I was re-watching the movie today, I, I'm just like... Because... You know, Rambo goes in, finds the POWs, grabs the one guy, brings him out, and then Murdoch orders the mission aborted, like right as the helicopter is hovering over them. So I'm watching this. I'm like, well, if they're not going to bring the POWs back, why are they there in the first place? They had like 50 guys in this base with all these crazy 1985 computers Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they... they get Rambo out of his rock prison, smashing rocks to come yes. out and do this. They go through all this effort that, to then not do anything. Mm. Like, were they just going to send him out to the jungle? Like, to take you know, pictures. And he got lost and never showed up again. They just wanted him to take pictures. And, I guess, but and the idea was they're going to cover right, he up. Does go in with the camera? Yeah, they're going to cover up the information to to. And just kind of, it was all about Siskbunba, we won, or we're okay, you know, America's fine. And when he found these guys, he's like, no, I'm going to rescue him. Because he starts having those flashbacks of what happened to him. Yeah. And, um... Do we get to win this time? Do we get... Oh! (laughs) That's up to you. Um, 
I just I love that you mentioned already the very end when he's like how when he does the I want what they want and every other guy who came over here and spilled his guts and gave everything he had once for our country to love it. As much you'll, as, get a, you'll get a second medal of honor for this. Give it to them. Give it to them. Yeah. They when he says, but he says, up. he says, "How will you live, John? Day by day." <laughs> <laughs> so, and what's really interesting is it is it's kind of this it's this political sort of political movie veiled in an action film, and he would do the same thing in a way with Rocky Four. He would he would veil the politics into this boxing movie. Yeah, um, but he, it, no, make no bones about it. Uh, if the if the Vietnamese guys and the Russians were the bad guys in in Rambo Two, there was one Russian who was a bad guy in Rocky Four, and uh, and and Dolph Lundgren, Dra- Ivan Drago, man, he was he was evil. Oh, evil. I don't think he was the bad guy in Rocky. Oh, come Ford. on! He He's killed the a... innocent victim of the proletariat and their he... evil, their evil steroidal ways. He killed Apollo. He oh, did, he... but he was just doing his job. He... Apollo, Apollo didn't take it seriously. He was he was renicknamed after that death from above. I'm like, what kind of nickname is that? <laughs> what? <laughs> who knew? Who made up this nickname? This movie, I. Listen, I've always been, and I've said this on the show many times, and I even told you before we got started, I can I can talk this movie the way I can talk Return of the Jedi, almost. It's not as deep, but I'm just saying I have the same, I have such a love for these Rocky movies. And um, and I didn't get to see this one in the theaters. We had kind of a big family, so we didn't get to go to the movies a lot, but we would rent when things finally came out on video, we'd rent them and watch them yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And I remember I had a friend up the street who got to go see this, and a lot of my childhood experience in life took place on a trampoline in our backyard. And uh, I'm sitting there with my friend on the trampoline. We're talking. He's like, man, I saw Rocky Four. I'm like, oh, yeah, was it good? He's like, yeah, it was really good. He's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what happened? He's like, uh, he's like, he killed Apollo. I'm like, who killed Apollo? He's like, the Russian guy, the big guy, he killed Apollo. I'm like, how? And I'm thinking, like, he pulled a gun out. He's like, in the ring. And that's the first time I'd ever heard of the idea of someone being like beaten to death, you know, or having something happening in a boxing ring or a or a sports situation where they died from it, and I'm like, how did how how? He's like, he's so strong when he punches, he's just so strong. And these are two kids trying to work out the you know the intricacies of this man's punch being so strong that you know. And, and then I saw it, I'm like, oh my god! Like my friend told me, he broke his jaw and it killed him. I'm like, <laughs> you can die from breaking your jaw. You know, he's like, yeah. And so, you know, for a few years, I went around thinking if someone broke their jaw, they were dead. But, uh, but man, it, it's a heartbreaking moment when Apollo dies and, um, and it sets off this whole chain of events and it becomes, it's weird because it, it, it starts out as this political thing and it just continues on to be more of a, why can't we all, and it turns into why can't we all just get along? Yeah. Which is, which is kind of. A weird contrast to what happens in in Rambo Two. <laughs> yeah, Rambo Two. He kills all the Russians. That's right. <laughs> and 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 Rocky Four. He then goes and fights in front of them and gets them all to cheer for him. And then it was like, you know, the whole if we could get along and you could get along and everybody could get along. He says, and if it I can change, kumbaya, my friends. He says, if I can change and you can change, yes. everybody can change. 
and uh, and and everyone goes nuts about it. And 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 Mikhail Gorbachev, the person playing, stands up and looks around everyone else, and they have to stand up with him. And uh, it's just a great. I love this movie because it's unapologetically. It's to me, it's perfect that this movie came out in 1985 because everything about this screams this is a movie from the 1980s, and it came out smack dab in the middle of the 1980s, right down to the soundtrack. Sylvester Stallone had had a falling out with Bill Conti, so there's none of the uh, you know the classic Bill Conti music. It's thrown in right. a little bit here and there. Uh, Vince DiCola actually did the score and everything, and and everything synthesizers. There's no orchestra. You know, it's synthesizers and rock and roll, man. And and that it just screams the eighties at you. Um Well, and amazing training montage. Oh yeah. With, with Rocky oh, sure. old school out in the snow and the barn and Ivan like inside the gym with all the modern equipment and mm-hmm. getting his steroid shots and then Rocky standing on top of the mountain. Drago He's always got to be standing on top of something. That's right. That's right. Well, you didn't have the stairs for him to run up in this movie. Yeah. Um, of course, I guess in Rocky Three they were running on the beach, and they end up kind of jumping because he wins the race against yeah. Apollo on the beach. We didn't go back. How about this? We had the stairs in Rocky One and Two. We didn't go back to the stairs until Rocky Five. Yeah. Wow. So wait, did no? Did they go back to the stairs in Rocky Five? N- yeah. Because he, he he's running with Tommy Gunn, and they run up the stairs okay. together at one point, and then at the end, he's with his kid, and they go That up. movie is just so horrible. I try, <laughs> to, I try to remember as little as possible. Dude, I got a text the other day from Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio, and he's like, is it wrong that I just watched Rocky Five for the first yes, time? And it I is, actually, Jimmy. It's and, very wrong. And he said, and I, and I liked it. And I'm like, no, nothing's wrong with that, except because I, I recognize that it's the weakest film of the bunch, but I still like it. I still like it. Yeah, it's just so bad. It's not. It's not. There, there are moments that are bad, but I, honestly, from a the story- only thing I like about Rocky Five is is young Eric from Entourage beating up uh, Rocky's son and yeah. taking his jacket in the beginning. <laughs> just because it's E from Entourage, that just cracks me up. <laughs> he, I I dig that movie. I don't dig the soundtrack of that movie because it's that late '80s, early '90s hip hop, you know. But they did bring Bill Conti back for it, and there's a great. The opening of it is just wonderful. Um, but this movie, Rocky Four, man, to me, like I say, it screams '80s. It's it doesn't even have the depth of story. Even with the death of Apollo, it doesn't have even the depth of story that Rocky Three has. Yeah, and, well, in Rocky Three, that's that's my favorite. That yeah. was. That's I. That was the actually the first Rocky movie I saw. Me too. Me My too. My dad took me to see that in the theater, and it was. Sorry, we're going to talk wrestling for a second here, kids. Yes. It was you know, early '80s, so I was just getting into wrestling. It had uh, Hulk Hogan Hulk in Hogan. it. Hulk Hogan. Yep. So like that, I was like, Dad, that's Hulk Hogan. And then, uh, and then Hulk and Mr. T became best friends after that, and, ran, and they were on Saturday Night Live together. And Mr. T would start showing up at the wrestling events, and everything. so it was just like this whole crazy mishmash of stuff all around. Plus, it had I Have the Tiger, yes, which yeah. is like one of the greatest. Like you need to get psyched up for something songs to ever. this day. To this day, yes. Like my nephews, my nephews. Who probably I don't even think they've seen Rocky Three. They have Eye of the Tiger on their iPhones. So much so that they actually used it for the opening 
of Rocky Four. Yeah. Like that that's what they opened Rocky Four with instead of the classic Rocky music. Well, and one of the coolest things about all the Rocky movies is that the next one ends, uh, the next one begins where the one before it ended. Yes. Yes. And I love that. So you can put them, you can marathon them all, and it's just like one big, huge, long, seamless movie. Happy birthday, Polly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that I love he gets out like, who gave you the hat, Dad? My friend. Who gave you the black eye? <laughs> Same friend. That's weird. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, dude, Rocky Three I saw for the first time on CBS. Um, long after, I guess it had been in theaters, and and I mean, this was in the heyday then of the WrestleMania era. You know, Mr. T was already the best guy in the world on cartoons and yep. on the A Team, and so I'm watching this as a kid who loves Mr. T, but gets that he's playing the bad guy and loves Hulk Hogan, and is kind of confused that he's the bad guy. I'm like, who is Thunderlips? Why is he calling himself Thunderlips? That it's funny to me that I, the only thing I was confused about that movie is why is he calling himself Thunderlips. Um, what's really the ultimate male, what's meatball. What's really, what's really interesting about that whole situation is Hulk Hogan had been wrestling in New York for Vince McMahon senior. Yep. And when he went to do Rocky three, McMahon senior said, you'll never wrestle for me again. Yeah, exactly. And so he ended up in Minnesota in the AWA after Rocky three. And because of that role, that's how Hulkamania really got started. Yeah. And they didn't really know what to do with it in Minnesota, but then Vince McMahon Jr., who is now runs the WWE, saw what was going on. He he got Hogan to come back to New York to the then WWF. And and I mean, within just a, a week or so, he beat the Iron Sheik for the title and Hulkamania was running wild and we were off to the races in a big bad way. Yeah. Well and, and I think part of that too is that Rocky Three was very much a different movie than Rocky One and Two were. Oh sure, yes, yeah. You know, just in in feel and theme and everything. Rocky Three was very much, uh, you know, we're milking the cow, we're doing this to make bucks, and it it's my favorite Rocky movie. But it's you know it's that pop culture thing. You've got the hit song in it. You've got. You know, a great villain in Clubber Lang. Um, the story moves a lot faster in it. Rocky Two, and uh, I'm sorry, this might be blasphemous to some people out there. Rocky Two is boring. Mm. It's I think it's one. Of, it's just boring until until Adrian wakes up <laughs> and, and they, she's like, "Win, Rocky, <laughs> win!" And then Vic's like, "Oh, what are we waiting for? We don't take this." And then, like, that's when the movie, like, wakes up for me. That's when you get him running in the street with all the kids and stuff. And that's when it's like, all right, this is a great movie. But you got to sit through, like, an hour of basically nothing happening except her being pregnant and pouring dog chow into, like, a bucket in a little store and stuff. And it's just like, come on. Yeah, you're breaking my heart. You're breaking Sorry. my heart with Rocky too, there, man. <laughs> I I love the first Rocky and the second Rocky for the story of those movies because if it's not for what he goes through in those, when you hit Rocky three, that scene where they're on the beach, and and yeah, and, I, I get it. It means a lot more, you know. It, it, Apollo training him and oh all that God, stuff yeah. means a lot more. And then in Rocky four, Apollo's death means a lot more, man, because of those first two movies. But I just. I find the second one really hard to watch for yeah. like the first forty-five minutes sure. to an hour. I can get that. I um, when I met Mick Foley, 
Uh, you bet Mama Foley's baby boy. I did. I did. He was in Rome, Georgia, and we went to a show, and afterwards he was My doing My all-time favorite wrestler. He was doing a signing, and so uh, I got a picture. I, I used to dress as Mankind for Halloween. Nice. Nice. Well, I got, I got a picture... And I got him to sign a picture for me, and I said, "Could you make it out to my good friend Steve, who I don't even know?" And Mick says, "Rocky too." I'm like, "Exactly, Rocky too." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I end up talking to Mick Foley about Rocky too, more than what we've talked about Rocky Four here. But the truth of Rocky Four is, is for me, I look at it, I watch, I see that movie so much through the lens of the child who was just excited. The, the, Drago scared me more than Mr. T did for some reason. Um, he was bigger, he was, he was quiet, you know, um, and nowadays as an adult, you can look back and say, was he a victim of the system, you know, or, or was he like, yeah, I'll do this. This is great. I'll get ahead this way. You know, was, was he going to kill Rocky? Was he trying to kill Rocky in that ring? I tend to think he was. And, and, and when, and when he gets cut, man, when Rocky hits him and he's busted open for the first time. You're cheer- I'm cheering with everyone else. I'm like, yes, he can be cut. He's a man. Get him, Rocky. And um, and I'm I'm right there the whole dang time. Uh, here's some trivia for you on this, and and I and I don't know how much in your wheelhouse this will be because you hate tr- everything about the Transformers. But Vince, DeC- no way. <laughs> I hate everything about Transformers. Before. Let's be clear on that. I love the Transformers. That's why I hated Transformers 4. Vince DiCola, who does the who did the score, uh, what score there is in, in Rocky Four, also did the score for Transformers the movie. Oh nice. Back in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. The so, animated movie. Yeah, the animated movie, the good one. Um With and, the awesome Stan Bush song in it. That's right. That's right. Uh, I know my Transformers. That's right. Stan Bush, uh, a guest here on Geek Out Loud in the past. Really? Yeah. Damn, you are just impressing me right now. Uh, dude, I, I had Mick a... Mick Foley and Stan Bush? Yeah, well, I, I haven't had Mick Foley on the show, though, so I'm working on it. What? You've got the touch. That's right. Well, I'll tell you this. I had, to close out, I had had Brian Austin Green on the show because he listened to another podcast that I'd done and, and he and my co-host and I, we were doing a, we were doing a podcast about that Terminator show that came on Fox a while back. Yeah. And that he was on and he listened to it and loved it. Got in the touch with The resurrection of Brian Austin Green. Yeah. Yeah. And so he came on the show a couple of times. We enjoyed talking to him, found out he was a big star Wars fan, found out that, uh, Megan Fox, a big Lord of the Rings fan. And so I'm like, well, you've got to come on geek out loud. So we came on geek out loud and we had this great conversation, everything. A couple of weeks later, I have Stan Bush on, and I'm just completely starstruck. And I sounded like a blubbering fool talking to Stan Bush. I'm like, well, I really like this song off this album, and I really like this. I really, and The Touch, man, is just amazing. And you've done so many versions of it. Are you ever going to be in a Transformers movie? You should. I think, you know, I was like Chris Farley on the Chris Farley show. I took, I took a date, a first date to see Boogie Nights, which is just a bad idea in wow. so many different Wow. Anyways. Wow. That's a but whole different Yeah, that's a whole when different Marky company. Mark starts singing the touch. I lost it. I was cheering and clapping and laughing and this poor girl is and I had already been laughing at the the random Star Wars lines and stuff thrown out and that was kind of that just sealed the deal that this was not going to work out between the two of us at that point, but 
uh, that that moment was just like one of the greatest movie moments of all time to me. Well, I tell you what, Eric, as, as we wrap up, I think that you know we we talked about off air that one of the things that that we were thinking about doing is is twice a month doing this thing and then talking about the movies that are coming out that you know the month that we're in and then uh, and then another week talking about some of these classic movies this way. I I honestly feel like um, that one of the things we need to discuss is why one doesn't take a date to see Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> We, you and I should compare dating techniques because even I know that was a bad move. Uh, you know what? I met. I was working. I was working at a video store. She would come in. We would like chat about movies and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Like, All right. You know, we both wanted to see it. And it. You know, it wasn't like you know. I don't know. Right. It wasn't like I'm some creepy guy taking her to see this this yeah. movie about. Okay. I got you. All right. Well, then you know what? Fair enough. She asked for it. Which is well, a, which is an unfortunate that, that, yeah that's that just an sounds mean. yeah that's an unfortunate choice of it was unfortunate that she didn't appreciate the awesomeness of Marky Mark singing you've got the touch indeed indeed and and what, meanwhile you're sitting there like feel it feel it yeah so, <laughs> so I'm sitting there singing along with it that's how bad it got <laughs> oh and man she's like how do you know this song I'm like. Uh, hello, Transformers? Like, this is the song when, like, Optimus, like, comes in and saves them all and Ugh. stuff. And that just kind of, like... Prime did it. He changed it. He turned the tide. That's what Cup says. <laughs> I've got That's another movie. I've gotten my little heart, man. It's there. Um, anything you want to plug before we close out? No. Okay, great. I'm, I'm kind of a plug-free sort of guy. That's what I like to hear. At Darth underscore Duff on the Twitter. Erich, thanks for being a part of Geek Out Loud, man. Hey, thanks, man. This was a good time. All right. Pass the corn. Pass the corn. All right. Whoa, what has happened here? No, stop. Jeez, Louise. Terrible. Man, I'm, I'm bad. I have to name drop because uh, I'm so terrible at audio production. Hey, uh, Jimmy in Georgia, uh, just this quick, sent in a bumper for what is potentially going to be called Pass the Corn. Pass the Corn. <laughs> the corn nice pass the corn i like it i like it the hope is that in two weeks we don't uh we don't change the name so that's this has been pass the corn with steven Arish. pass the corn tune in next time when you might hear Arish say Pass the corn. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy and Georgia, for that. We really appreciate it. A couple of things on my mind as far as geeky stuff goes. Um, <clears throat> there is uh, uh, details have been released on 
on the follow-up novel uh, by Ernie Klein uh, to Ready Player One. It's called Armada. Um, this, is, this is from Random House about Armada. It's just another day of high school for Zach Lightman. He's daydreaming through another boring math class with just one more month to go until graduation and freedom if he can make it that long without getting suspended again. Then he glances out his classroom window and spots the flying saucer. At first, Zach thinks he's going crazy. A minute later, he's sure of it because the UFO he's staring at is straight out of the video game he plays every night, a hugely popular online flight simulator called Armada, in which gamers just happen to be protecting the Earth from alien invaders. But what Zach's seeing is all too real, and his skills, as well as those of millions of gamers across the world, are going to be needed to save the Earth from what's about to befall it. Yet, even as he and his new comrades scramble to prepare for the alien onslaught, Zack can't help thinking of all the science fiction books, TV shows, and movies he grew up reading and watching and wonder, doesn't something about this scenario seem a little too familiar? Armada is at once a rollicking, surprising thriller, a classic coming-of-age adventure, and an alien invasion tale like nothing you've ever read before, one whose every page is infused with author Ernest Cline's trademark pop culture savvy. Armada will be coming uh, from Random House um, soon. I don't have uh, I don't have a release date here for it, but uh, but it's coming soon. Uh, I loved Ready Player One, and if you're like me, as I was reading that synopsis, I the only just immediately my mind jumped to, well, this sounds like the Last Starfighter. But knowing Ernest Klein, knowing Ernie Klein and, and his proclivities, proclivities, pro- <coughs> <No>. <laughs> unique New York, you, the arsonist has oddly shaped feet. Knowing his proclivities, uh, I can only imagine that, man, this guy is going to call himself on that. There's no way. I mean, he he's going to be someone who... Emily says, "Oh, this is just like um, this is just like uh, like Last Starfighter," and he'll probably call himself on that. I actually have um, the Last Starfighter score. I don't know who it's by. That's pretty. What about this? Shot Whoa! What just, again, terrible, terrible production value on this show. There it is. The last Starfighter. So that's uh, Armada coming from Ernest Klein later on this year. Soon, I hope. I And I look forward to reading it. I loved, loved, loved Ready Player One. Absolutely just thought it was fantastic, and I defy anyone to feel otherwise. So be looking for that. If you haven't read Ready Player One, jump on that because it's good stuff. In not-so-happy news, earlier this week there was a fan film release... Um, 
It uh, Joseph Kahn, director Joseph Kahn, made a 14-minute short uh, with Katie Sackhoff as Kimberly, the Pink Ranger, and James Vanderbeek as Rocky, the second Red Ranger. I believe he was the Red Ranger. And the whole thing is he's got her sitting there in... Basically, she's handcuffed, and he's at, he's questioning her about the Rangers and what's happened with them. He's apparently turned on the Rangers. He's turned after the there was apparently some big revolution. It's very post-apocalyptic. It's not happy. There's a lot of language and cussing. Apparently, um, the, the apparently. Uh, Power Rangers copyright holder SCG, Power Rangers LLC, a division of Savon Brands, they petitioned Vimeo to remove a not-safe-for-work version that included nudity amid the profanity and bloodshed. Uh, the Tamer edit remains on YouTube where it's been viewed more than 11 times. It's not, it's not what I wanted to see from a Power Rangers film. In today's world where you can do it, where people just have at their fingertips the ability if they're able to do just amazing stuff with effects and everything. I would have loved to seen a, a, a better homage to those original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. However, I'm not alone in this. Thank goodness. Jason David Frank, the original Green Ranger and White Ranger, uh, chimed in. He said he posted a video on his Facebook fan page. He criticized the short, and he said, I know there's a lot of fans out there that love it and all that stuff, but I'm just a PG-13 guy. Uh, he revealed he was approached last year to appear in the project. He said the cuss words, the drugs, all this other stuff, it doesn't fly with me. The problem is, uh, they're still connected with adults. Talking about the Power Rangers, they're still connected with adults and kids. The Super Mega Force and Power Rangers Dino Charge are all still on Nickelodeon. And so you can't take a brand like this and reboot it so dark and gritty. This is still a kid's brand. I appreciate the sensitivity, uh, that that he brought to the table with that recognizing that this is, you know, this thing is, it is something, look, Katie Sackhoff, James Vanderbeek, it's great to have that kind of star power in something like this. But at the end of the day, dude, have a little more fun with it. It was just hard to watch. I, I watched the whole thing and I kept waiting for the turn. I kept waiting for the turn and the turn ended up being dark again. You know, it just kept turning darker and darker and sadder and sadder and, and worse and worse. And and it ends on the shot of, you know, Rita Repulsa, you know, coming back. And she's like, no, I was just like, I was really upset about it. Not really upset. I didn't lose any sleep over anything. I was just like, that's it's disappointing. Really upset is way too strong a word. I was really disappointed. Uh, because you just hope that, that when someone gets their hands on something, that they're, they're not going to do like that. They're going to do an, an, an homage. Uh, secondly, uh, on kind of the, you know, the not so happy stuff, Daily Beats posted, I guess what could best be, uh, described as maybe an op-ed piece of some sort. Um, DailyBeats.com says how superhero movies lost their humanity. Uh, and it's focusing in on Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. And it's and, and the writer at one point says this is probably the best superhero movie uh, of the genre short history. The short history, superhero movies have been around since the old serial days with Batman and Batman and Robin, Superman. Uh, you had you had uh, not even even before George Reeves, you had some Superman serials that were in theaters then you jump to the 70s and you have richard donner superman superman one superman two superman three superman four 
you know, you hit 89 with the Batman. I don't think that the superhero film genre has a very short history, sir. You're talking about in the modern day superhero films. And <clears throat> you're just saying it's arguably the best superhero film in the genre's short history. And he says, what's wrong with the superhero movie? And Miles Millar and Alfred Galf, the creators of Smallville, or, or actually it was just Miles who was talking, but the crea one of the creators of Smallville who wrote Amazing Spider-Man 2, um, goes on. he says it's become convoluted corporate destinies. Instead of a compelling movie, something which is complete within itself, other agendas are at play, which make these movies feel less like movies and more like TV shows or product placement for toys. They've literally become not about finding the dramatic core, the emotional stake for the characters. I completely disagree with that. I completely, completely disagree with that statement and that sentiment. Uh, you know, they, 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 they bring up the weaknesses of some of the Warner Brothers films, uh, he really gives a hard time to the Dark Knight, um, you know. But he also Marvel's not uh, is not alone in this. He, you know, he says um, he says it's the curse of the Avengers, which is like slam as many people in there, meaning slam as many people in there as you can. The point of the Avengers was that these team these people teamed up. Um, <clears throat> He says, uh, the, the writer says, don't be fooled by the studios and audience's commitment because not everyone is happy. Shortly before Guardians of the Galaxy, a fresh adaptation of an old comic, uh, basically the love child of Star Wars and Indiana Jones, whose best character is a tree that says three words. Uh, you know what? He says, superhero fatigue was a real thing. This was spawned by the disastrous Amazing Spider-Man 2. I don't know that superhero, look, superhero fatigue may be a real thing, but I don't know that it's hitting as long as the quality movies are out there. The thing that make these movies, they're, they're making money. They're making billions of dollars combined. So obviously they're hitting on something worthwhile. I just think this is someone trying to be the smartest person in the room. He grabs some guys who have some superhero cred behind them. And they really want to, um, that you know, he's just trying to start some something new. The problem I see with this is, is if too many people pick it up and run with it, what's going to happen is, is suddenly this is going to be the cool thing to say, in when it comes to uh, when it comes to superhero stuff, you're going to see everyone do what they did with the prequels, and, and the cool thing to do is going to start being to hate the fact that there's so many superhero franchises out there and i say no bring them on bring them on um it, it i feel like there's a lot of this is all very opinion based there's no fact to it i've not heard anyone saying i saw when the slate of movies was released about how many we're getting over the next few years i saw one tweet talking about oh my gosh this is kind of getting old now but at the end of the day, no, it's not. Here's what's coming up in the next five years. Avengers, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Fantastic Four, Deadpool, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Captain America, Civil War, X-Men Apocalypse, Suicide Squad, Gambit, Doctor Strange, Wolverine sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Fantastic Four 2, Wonder Woman, uh, Spider-Man, Thor, Ragnarok, Justice League Part 1, The Flash, Avengers Infinity War Part 1, Black Panther, Aquaman, Captain Marvel, Shazam, Avengers Infinity War Part 2, Justice League Part 2, Inhumans, Cyborg, Green Lantern. That's a ton of movies that are all superhero-based coming out in the next five years. And when you say them like that, it seems like so much. But really what you're talking about is three, four-year tops. Um, 
and that's fine because some of these don't really necessarily blow my hair back. I know everyone is super stoked about Deadpool. Deadpool's going to be one of those that I just wait till it's out on video because Deadpool's never been a character who I'm just get all ramped up and excited for. Um, same thing with stuff like Suicide Squad and Gambit, probably the Wolverine signal, se sequel that they make. Um, these are just movies that I doubt I end up in, in, in the movie theater to see uh, just because... I, I, you know, in Fantastic Four too. Let's not be, let's not be too hasty. There's no, there's no guarantee it's locked in. The buzz right now is so not positive on that movie that there's a good chance that Fox would just say no, we won't try it again. You know, you never know. It just, it, and it could end up being one of the greatest things of all time. And so, I think you just got to wait and see on some of this stuff. Marvel's locked in. And I think they can pretty securely be locked in with what they have. And quite frankly, it's because they've hit pretty solid. They've stepped up to the plate and been pretty solid every time they have since Iron Man. Even the weakest of those movies have have a lot to redeem them. Uh, just in watching Iron Man 3 to get ready for the commentary, Iron Man 3 being my least favorite of the Marvel movies, I couldn't deny that it's just a great movie. And it's fun, and the soundtrack is great. Uh, there is one constant that's been through a lot of these Marvel movies, with the exception of uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. But in Phase 2, mostly, we've seen Brian Tyler handle the music duties for these movies and, and doing a great job. And so there's a, little bit of, there's a little bit of similarity between them, but he also, Brian Tyler, has enough uh, sensibilities to make each one seem a little differently. And so, I don't know. I disagree with this, and I just think that I just think that it's it's upset. I, I think I, or that it's wrong. I, I'm not upset about this. It doesn't tick me off too bad. But I just think it's it's someone and someone had posted this to the Geek Out Loud Facebook page at facebook.com/geekoutloud, and I just was watching it, and I'm just like, this person's writing as though everyone wants this to stop, as as though everyone, as though after Spider-Man Two, everything's been downhill from there. And I'm just like, where have you been? What have you been watching, you know? And and is this just that you love Spider-Man 2 so much that nothing has been good since? I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just unfortunate that this kind of voice is out there because they're great movies with a great cast. And beyond that, the people who were cast in these movies, particularly uh, Chris Pratt and Chris Evans, constantly in the news for doing things to help people based on their characters they played, Captain America and Star-Lord. You can't go wrong. I'm sorry, you just can't go wrong with that kind of goodwill and that kind of fun coming out of what has been done in superhero movies as of late. Uh, our final snippet tonight is uh, Vanessa Marshall and James Arnold Taylor, both friends of Geek Out Loud. Mark it down as name-dropping, guys. Both friends of, of Geek Out Loud uh, or the Goliverse are both have both been cast or both cast or both have probably known the way animation works have already uh read their roles as gamora and yondu respectively uh vanessa marshall is just charming and wonderful and absolutely great and i was really excited to see that she was going to be attached to the the guardians of the galaxy animated series that i assume is going to be running on disney xd i hadn't really done my homework on that and James Arnold Taylor, no stranger to this show, no stranger to the Goliverse at all. He's been the leader on Hulk, Agents of Smash. He's been multiple roles in different Spider-Man cartoons. And now he gets to head out into space 
and be Yondu. And I am anxious to hear James Arnold Taylor's take on Yondu. I think it's going to be really cool and, and could be fun. So, um, so looking forward. I'm looking forward to the to the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon. I'm definitely looking forward to people who we are all familiar with and know and love from the Goldiverse being a part of it. So just wanted to give them a shout out and tell you to keep your eyes open for that because it's really cool that they've been cast in those roles. Um, finally, the last thing I really have tonight on the old plate to talk about is I'm well. You know what? I'm going to go back for a moment here and. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about Brian Tyler, uh, the composer, musician. Um, he did Iron Man 3. He did Thor, The Dark World. Um, he did Guardians of the Galaxy. I think he did the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. If I'm not mistaken, I could very well be mistaken. Let me let me double check my facts and figures here and make sure. No, I'm sorry. Tyler Bates did the Guardians of the Galaxy. So you can see where I'd get confused. You can see where I'd get confused. Uh, but Brian Tyler did great on, on, on Thor The Dark World and uh, Iron Man 3. I was, And he also got to score that awesome Marvel Studios fanfare. And I've really been digging on his Iron Man 3 um, soundtrack, especially those, those those last closing credits. He took the theme that he'd been working with through Iron Man 3 and turned it into this like really cool like 70s, early 80s, you know, movie theme it was really cool i really appreciated what he did with it there so anyway i i'm digressing here uh good way to segue into though what i want to talk about and that is my reading plan with comic books as of lately i've been uh on the marvel unlimited app reading a lot of comics and i'm i'm caught up to what they have uh on the app and that's about six months old and and so what i'm doing and i will catch up like they release the new quote-unquote new stuff for the week every Monday. And so a lot of times I'll end up on a Monday afternoon by the time uh, I've sat down and finished lunch, I will have finished what's new on the Marvel Unlimited app and caught up with, I've been reading the Avengers and the new Avengers. Uh, They're in the middle of the original Sin uh, story they did last year right now on the Marvel Unlimited app, so I've been up with that. Um... I went back and read the Infinity story uh, from a couple of years ago, year and a half or so ago, that featured Thanos along with the Avengers and the New Avengers. And I've not really been digging a lot of what went on with that story and with the Avengers and definitely not digging what's going on in the New Avengers. But I keep reading it because I know it's leading into uh, Secret Wars, which is coming this year, coming very soon, in fact. They've, they've also started releasing some stuff some information about that. One of the things they released was uh, the fact that part of Battleworld is going to be Inferno. 
Inferno was a storyline that ran throughout the Marvel Universe. Not really a storyline. It was more or less the story itself took place in the pages of the X-Men. But the effects of the story spilled out to other areas of the Marvel Universe. And that's where you end up getting like a demonic hobgoblin in the pages of Spider-Man. Uh, Johnny Storm got overcharged with his flame and like couldn't flame off because of what was going on. And that brought Reed and Sue back to the Fantastic Four. So it was one of those things where you didn't have to read necessarily what was happening in the X-Men because they'd give you enough information as to what was going on in the other titles. It was really cool. It was a great time to be a comic book reader. Um, but so they're actually going to be fleshing that out a little bit more in Secret Wars. And so it's going to be some title called Secret Wars Inferno or something. It's going to explain how in one particular universe it went on longer than what it did in the 616 universe, the Marvel universe. But anyhow, so what I've done is I've decided because on the Marvel Unlimited app, you can go back all the way to the 1960s and read from the first issue forward of all of these titles. So I've been going back and reading the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk, um, <clears throat> been reading the... Uh, been reading the the Avengers from issue number one, Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, I actually hadn't started Amazing Spider-Man yet, but um, and uh, I, I started Avengers too early because I'm really trying to read them almost in release order. So you know, you get into Journey into Mystery with you know where they where they introduce Thor. You get into um, all kinds of stuff uh, with with this you know with with reading this thing and so I, I try to set up a calendar and figure out what's the best reading order and how to best read this thing and i've just kind of stuck with the fantastic four because they're kind of the first they're, they really are i mean when they say they're marvel's first family they really are and it's really been interesting to me to read back because when it comes to the incredible hulk i've read those first six issues of the incredible hulk several times in my life i had i had a book that had them reprinted in it um and so I just would read that again and again and again and again and again. And and so I'm very familiar with those first six issues of The Incredible Hulk. It would then the Hulk would then start to show up in Tales to Astonish, and it'd be like a there'd be like a Hulk story and a Submariner story. Um and then it wasn't until like issue one oh eight, I think, where the the title just changed back to the Incredible Hulk and it was just constant Incredible Hulk from there. But I'm I'm just I've been having a blast because the truth of the matter is as you read these things if you're a comic book reader nowadays they call it uh, decompressed storytelling that's something that came about when Bendis started working on Ultimate Spider-Man when when Ultimate Spider-Man first launched and and so one issue would lead into the next would lead into the next and it seemed like it took four issues to tell what used to only take one issue to tell. And nowadays, with all the crossovers and the way they do them, even though you're, let's say, let's say they do a special event called, I don't know, just for argument's sake, um, Original Sin, which is happening in Marvel Universe, where I'm at in, in Marvel Unlimited. And you pick up just those eight. Let's just go back to Secret Invasion. I could pick up, that was an eight issue uh, limited series, basically, that ended up crossing over into all of the Marvel Universe. You literally, they said you didn't have to, but you did have to kind of read a lot of the Avengers books and some other stuff to kind of get the full spectrum of what was really happening in Secret Invasion. Because you'd come back 
from issue one of Secret Invasion into issue two and be like, well, wait a minute. Now they're talking about something that happened over here, and it was key to the story. It wasn't just a sidebar thing that happened. It was, it was truly a tie-in. And so they write stuff that way nowadays. As I'm reading this stuff, these comics are like 23 pages long, but they seem longer than what it is. There are more panels per page. You know, nowadays, the way panel structure works is you get a lot more splash pages, a lot more half pages, uh, a lot more quarter pages, um, and a lot of panels flowing into other panels. This is that old school, you know, maybe six to nine panels on a page, um, and each panel has something going on. There's there's more dialogue. There's more narration. There just seems to be more to these comics happening. In fact, so much so that they'd be broken up into like three chapters when you read these things. And and all the stories are pretty self-contained. They're pretty much self-contained. A couple of issues will lead into the next one, but you have finished the story. So if you miss the next issue... You know, back in the day, you weren't missing out on the conclusion of a story. It wasn't like a true two-part story. For example, after the first appearance of Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four, in the very next issue, um, he teams up with the Submariner. Doctor Doom does to to kind of help defeat the to get him to help defeat the Fantastic Four. And I'll tell you what I've been really surprised about. Is, is there some things that, that Lee and Kirby and company set up that are still around this day? I didn't... When I first got into the Fantastic Four, one of the things about Doctor Doom that was so intriguing to me is that he wasn't just a man of science, but he was into the dark arts, the sorcery as well. And he combined the two to be really super powerful. And I thought, well, surely that's something that came along, you know, in the 70s or with the rise of Doctor Strange, that kind of thing. Mm-mm. This has been around since his first appearance. You know, Latveria wasn't there, but Dr. Doom, as a sorcerer scientist, was there uh, with the scarred, messed up face. And that's why he wore the mask and everything. They didn't get into the into depth with the origin uh, of why that's there. They just say, well, he's scarred and deformed beyond recognition. And they use a lot of, you know, storytelling tropes where like, would science beyond anything we have or know, you know? And, and sometimes it does feel like old super friend plots where... They're not actually going up against villains that we know of, but like there's either some weird alien that's taken them or has showed up. Um, I just read the issue where they first meet the Watcher on the moon, um, and the Red Ghost is the villain, and, and how he decides to get his powers and all his apes get their powers. But it's really cool to see some things that they set up that are still around. Namor is kind of a bad guy, the Submariner. He's, he's not a nice guy, and he could tip at any moment and that made me appreciate something that recently that i read in the new avengers recently that took place i'm like okay what makes he's always been this person um and the thing is is very self-loathing i wasn't surprised by that at all i mean he's always been that way but to kind of see it and see how it plays out and the fantastic four does not get along in these early issues they're at each other's throats a lot and, and dismissive of one another. And the thing walks out a time or two. Johnny walks out a time or two. But they keep coming back together. And what you're seeing is a slow softening toward one another as things as, as, as the stories progress. You're seeing these, this team really gel together. And it's very subtly done. You know, I don't know if it was done on purpose or not, but gee whiz, it seems like it was. And... You know, I, I never read 
like I say, I read those first six issues of the Hulk time and time again. I never really read the Avengers early issues or even like some Iron Man's first stuff and Tales of Suspense or Thor and Journey into Mystery. And I never read a lot of these early Fantastic Four issues. But what I'm finding, what I expected was um, that all of these characters end up kind of having the same voice and just looking different. You know, in the same way that, like, back in the day with the old Super Friends cartoon, this is not me knocking the Super Friends cartoon. I love the Super Friends. But what you did get on the old Super Friends cartoon is they were all basically the same character, just with different voice actors and costumes. They all kind of had the same personalities, the same desire for justice, all this stuff. Uh, and that's kind of what I expected out of these comics, but I've not gotten that at all. The women could be written a little bit better, but it was the 60s, and, you know, and they definitely got away from that as time moved on. Um, but I've really been pleasantly surprised at the depth of character, not just in the Fantastic Four, but in the Avengers and, and what's going on with the Hulk and Iron Man stuff and, and some of the Thor stuff too. I've just been really impressed with it. They really did. When people talk about, you know, Stan Lee being revolutionary in the way that he humanized these characters, it's true. They're, they were more well-rounded than what superheroes were at the time. Now, unfortunately, a lot of modern-day writers have taken that to the nth degree and made these characters almost unlikable. You know, the, the, the core of goodness and the heart of goodness isn't there. But, or, I mean, I guess it's there, but it's still misguided and messed up. Um, but it's really interesting. I've really had a good time reading, uh, reading this stuff for the first time and rereading some of it for the first time in a long time. It's been a good experience because it's really helped me appreciate more and more what went on back in the day, especially in, in, a, in a day and age when people talk about, you know, certain artists causing delays because they can't get their work in, you know, and they're working on one book. And when you consider that Jack Kirby was working on many books and he was doing you know, look, I'm not some I'm not an artist. I'm not someone who is who is like super into art and stuff. And Jack Kirby, you can tell it's the work of a man who was rushed to get stuff done, but he got it done and it still looked good. And every now and again there'd be these pinups that that he would do uh just full page spreads that were just really cool looking and really just neat. It, it, it's Jack Kirby doing what made Jack Kirby the king back in the day. And it's just nice to see, you know, someone who was working that hard, do put in that kind of work, and you just kind of compare it to what goes on today, and you're just like, yeah, it's beautiful to look at, and you guys are doing a great job, but here's a man that was doing, you know, 10, 20 times the workload, and stuff was getting out on time. It's a different age. I guess it's just a different era, but... uh but I'm telling you, if you have the opportunity to pick up an app like this, and if DC ever does an app like this, I really hope they do, by the way. Um, it's one I'll definitely pick up and go back and do the same thing I'm doing here because this has just been a blast. And uh, I'll probably actually pick a few comics and talk about them from time to time from some of these classic stuff, especially as we get into the superhero movie season as, as we get along. So, um, so, so hang on to your hats for that but that's what i've been geeking out on what have you been geeking out on you can shoot us an old email at uh geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline 
at gmail.com. I want to thank Eris Schoenweiss for coming on uh, for our first installment of Pass the Corn. Pass the Corn. And, uh, and and talking some Rocky, talking some Rambo with me. Really appreciate it. Always a good time when Eric stops. But I look forward to more installments of Pass the Corn or whatever we'll end up calling it uh, from Eric and myself. Had a blast with him. want to thank everyone who listened to us live tonight at Mixer.com slash Goliverse. We had 30 listeners at one point. That's the most we've had in a while. And it really just energized me and made me excited to see all you guys here. And I really greatly appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at Geek Out Loud. I'm at Steve Glosson. Erish is at Darth underscore Duff. And of course, at Goliverse for all the Goliverse stuff that's going on. That email again is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Head over to iTunes if you subscribe to us via iTunes. Leave us a review and a rating, especially a review. These things really help people find out about us. We've been on that What's Hot list several times. We actually made it to the front page of the What's Hot list a couple of weeks ago. We kind of want to get entranced there, entrenched, I should say, there, and stick around and, and really grow. Listen, the growth that this show has is going to be all because of you guys. You need to understand that if you're listening to this and you do something, any growth we have and do is going to be absolutely because you've put in the footwork and you've helped make it that way. Nothing I've done alone. It's all you guys. And so anytime we have a victory like that, I try to share it and make sure people know because it's a big deal to me because you've helped do that. So if, you'll, if you've got time and you've not done it, head over to iTunes, leave us a review for all the Goldiverse shows. And if you've listened to this show and you're like, hey, where has been Disney Vault Talk and Rock Out Loud and Mark Out Loud and all these other Goldiverse shows I love, head over to geekoutpodcast.com. You'll find where you can subscribe to each of those individually there at geekoutpodcast.com, as well as all the RSS feeds for the different shows and everything. While you're there, use that Amazon link to do your Amazon shopping. It really helps us out, and I thank everyone so much who's done that. And a huge thank you so much to everyone who supports us directly at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. You can head over there and, and choose at which level you'd like to support us if you choose to do so, and we appreciate your support at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Now, our next episode is going to be our first book club episode. We'll be discussing the novel The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Head over to geekoutonline.com slash reads and join up uh, the Good Reads group there and uh, interact with all the other Guardians of the Goliverse as we talk about the literature we love. And then next week, we'll actually be doing a discussion about The Hobbit. That was the book that was laid out for this month, and so we're going to be getting that discussion in. I've got some good discussion questions. We're going to be opening up the phone lines, sending emails to talk about The Hobbit if you've read it recently, and uh, let us know what you think. Not the movie, the book. So that does wrap it up for us here at Geek Out Loud. Until next time, I'm Steve Glosson. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud. Geek Out Loud.